this morning I'm excited about doing uh, step two of our series that we've uh, laid out there that we're talking about building the family. Last week we talked about building a strong family and for us to do that we have to be dependent upon the master builder. We talked about who's building your house. Who is your builder? You know, if, we, if, if our house is to be a, a house of God, when our labor is aligned with God's will for our lives. Otherwise, we're building it in vain. We talked about how that we, if, we're not, if we're not watching out for righteousness in our life and in our family, that we're watching in vain. We talked about how that any time we spend investing in the kingdom and we spend investing in pointing our family members towards Christ or anybody else is not wasted time. It's valuable time. You know, years ago, I was thinking about that as I was working on this this week and and we uh throughout our lives it hit me that every single home we have moved in from our very first little one bedroom apartment that one of the things that we have done is we have stepped into that place whether it was something new or whether somebody else had lived there before us or whatever, one of the first things we've done is that we anointed that place with oil and we prayed over it and we wanted to make sure that if anything of any evil intent had happened there before us, it was null and void and that from this moment on that this house was going to be a house dedicated to the Lord. Now that may seem a little strange to you, But in all honesty, I wanted to make sure that our home was a home where God's presence could dwell. And we strive. We weren't perfect. We weren't perfect parents. You can ask my boys. I can probably tell you of several mistakes we made. But our goal was to have a Christ-centered home. And it still is. You ought to see my dog sometimes when I get to praying out loud. She just looks at me, and from there, it's just me. You know, she's like, what are you doing? But I think it's especially vital this morning. I want us to look at the rest of Psalm 127. We covered the first two verses last week. But verse 3 through 5 says this, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blesses the man whose quiver is full with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now there is so much there. But children are a blessing. How many know that they are? They're a blessing. There, there, is, there is something that happens. I mean, think about this. There is something that happens when God blesses you with a child, and that child is put in your arms. And it's just, it's just amazing. I remember the moment with both of my boys when that, when that son was put in my arms. Just realizing, God has entrusted me with this soul. 
It's amazing the connection and the love and the, and the devotion. That there's just something that kicks in. There is something that happens when it happens. But to think the idea that God has entrusted us with a soul, this going, that soul is going to live forever. And it's our responsibility to guide them and to mold them and help them. It's a huge responsibility. And it's something that we must be, be wary of. It's something we need to keep in the forefront of our minds. And, and with it, there's so many wonderful, wonderful moments. But there's also challenges that come along. There's things that we face. There's times that, that they, when they go through seasons that it seems like they're crying all night and nobody can get any sleep. And we're not necessarily looking at it as a blessing or a reward. But there's so many incredible moments when you get to see things afresh and anew through the eyes of that innocence that isn't already jaded like we are. They don't have everything figured out, that everything's new, everything's fresh, everything's alive. Reminds me of the story of the little girl that was helping her mom do dishes, and they were doing the dishes together, and they were by the window there at the sink, and and the sun was hitting mom's dark hair just right and the little girl looked and all of a sudden she realized and she said mom you've got white hairs why do you have white hairs well the mom thought here's my chance so she said well honey those moments that you don't do what you're supposed to do those moments that you do something that, that causes me to be upset or makes me cry, that turns one of my hairs white. <laughs> the little girl looked and thought for a moment. So that's why Grandma's hair is all white. I guess in her mind, boy, mom must have given her mom fits. But then as I thought about that, thought about something interesting. Think of this. Every single painting we see of God, all of his hair is white. Think of all the grief we've given him. Think of all the times we've disappointed him. Think of all the times we've fallen short. We should want to do better. And when God blesses us, when he gives us that reward of a child that is so moldable, that is so fresh, that's such... Is such raw material. It is a responsibility. So today I want to talk to you about raising straight arrows. Because scripture tells us these things. Let's look again at verse 3. 
Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. What do you think about those two words, heritage and reward? See, we've been entrusted with a treasure. When you have children, that's a treasure. I'm, I'm, I'm told that, that grandchildren are even better yet. I'm going to find out in May. But like it or not, thinking about heritage and reward, like it or not, we've all been left a heritage. Some of us have been left with a lofty heritage that should be celebrated. Others have been left with a heritage that they need to overcome. So how often do we stop and think about what kind of heritage we are leaving to the ones that God has blessed us with? Think about this. One day, those that God has given you, that he has entrusted you with you, will be left to reflect on their own heritage. Will it be worthy of celebration? Or will it be one that they need to overcome? One that they hope to do better than? This morning, I've kind of summed it to this thought that I want you to take with you. Let's leave a heritage that makes the enemy quiver. Wouldn't it be great if the Lord were to, or not the Lord, but the enemy were to say, we don't need the people in that church having any more kids. Because they're bucking the trend. They're turning out different than everybody else in the world. Wouldn't that be the greatest thing? says children are a reward from him. And that sounds wonderful. And it is. It is a blessing when God entrusts us with a precious life. But the thing that hit me is that there's a little bit of an alternate definition to the word reward. Literally, another definition of the word reward is receiving what you deserve. Let that thing sink in for a moment. And I was thinking back. I wonder how many times my parents looked at my boys growing up and was like, <laughs> payback. <laughs> They're just what you deserve. Because I knew growing up that there were times Derek had a little bit of a stubborn streak. Guilty. There are things, there is no doubt, he's my flesh and blood. But just think, what a responsibility. What kind of heritage are you leaving? Are you molding them so you're leaving such a heritage that your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren have this heritage to follow that has been laid before them. I'm convinced, please hear me this morning, I'm convinced the lack of proper spiritual and moral parenting is a big 
key to the problems we see in this nation today. So many times, I mean, are we truly preparing them for this life and the next? Are we just trying to get by? Are we just lowering the bar just to make it through each day? And I understand there are times you're about to pull all your hair out and there is stuff that's going on and nothing seems to be going right and all of a sudden that little one that you've been given responsibility for has a little bit of a crisis or there's things that are happening and all you want to do in that moment is just get them quiet, get them occupied and just make it through the day. I understand one of the things I want you to think about is that when we just push it aside you're sacrificing part of their heritage on the altar of convenience that's heavy I know but it's, it's true it's convicting and I can't say you know without a doubt there were times that, that we did just what we had to do to get by But there are so many times that there are those moments that pop up that are teachable moments. And it's so easy to just occupy and pass it by. But we need to let God show us, let the Holy Spirit make it clear to us when it's one of those moments that we need to take control of the situation and use it as a life lesson in their life to prepare them for their future. And it's not just the responsibility of the parents. It's it's the responsibility of the family. It's the responsibility of the church family. This morning, it was so beautiful to me to see the whole front filled up with all the kids that came in this morning to collect the BGMC change. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but our children's department and our youth department are growing right now. There is a next generation that is coming in and raising up, and that's part of the reason that this message is so dear to my heart this morning. How about you? I loved it when I was in school and they graded on a curve. I loved it when I didn't do so well on a test and come to find out that even the smartest kid in class didn't do so well on the test. So the teacher came in and said, you know what, we're going to grade on a curve. And so they would take the, the smartest student in the class and, and bump them up the top grade, which means everybody else got an appropriate following boost up. I loved it. But this idea today I mean, think about how many times today we see people say, you know what, that used to be illegal. We're not going to make that illegal anymore. We're not going to arrest people for doing that. We're going to let people that are convicted of that thing, we're going to let them out of prison. And then they stand up, look the camera in the eye and say, statistically, I made crime go down. Well, that's because all these people that should have been arrested, you said that's not illegal anymore. Lowering the bar doesn't lower crime. Lowering morality in this nation does not make it more moral. It will only lead to more self-centered adults and more and more violence. There are so many growing up today that have never heard the word no. Say what you will, 
But when we had a fully ingrained Bible-based culture of decades past, these type of things were unheard of. Kids played all over the neighborhoods. Many houses were left unlocked without fear. The idea of someone walking into a school or walking into a church and shooting was completely unheard of. But the only way to turn these things around is a true spiritual revival, and parents play a big part in that. So much more than just providing for their physical needs. Malachi 4.6 says this, And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Several translations, unless I come and strike the nation with a curse. Think of this. This is the very last verse in the Old Testament. What's coming next is the introduction of Jesus, who would establish the new covenant. And... And we look at it, and when this has been right, when the father's heart has been towards the children, the children's towards the father, we see nations that are stable. We see nations that are solid. We see communities and homes and, and families and churches that are right. And But yet, what do we see? Whenever that is absent, we see the degradation of society. That heritage is so important. Because when that's lost, society curses itself. So I was working on this. I remembered a story I heard probably several years ago. But there was this little story, I think it was on Animal Planet or one of them, and, and they were talking about how that they had these, these, uh, this place, they decided to relocate some elephants. And so they were literally kind of helicopter airlifting them to this other game reserve that they wanted elephants to be populated and be protected in. And, but because of the cost and the expense and the difficulty of, of transporting full-grown elephants, they took some, a bunch of adolescent elephants and they airlifted them over to this new game preserve area. This is in Africa, in South Africa. And as they did this, all of a sudden they had this problem. Literally, there became this roaming group of adolescent male elephants that were going around and wreaking havoc and destroying everything. They were really even ganging up on and killing white rhinos. They were freaking out. What do we, we got to do something about this. And one behavioral expert actually came along and said, well, I know what the problem is. What? They don't have any adult supervision. And literally, they transported about six full-grown, mature male elephants into the same area, and in a matter of weeks, the problem stopped. Because there was the influence of adults in the area that took charge and showed the adolescent elephants 
how life was done. Kind of gives us a good view of where our society is, doesn't it? Now, I know, I know anytime you get on a subject like this, there are people that are like, well, I was raised by a single mom or a single dad or this or that, and, and I turned out all right. Praise God. There's always examples, but that's not the ideal circumstance. That's not the plan that God had. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and move on to verse 4. <clears throat> like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. What about <clears throat> forging arrows? See, the neat thing is, when God gives us that little child, they're so moldable, they're so innocent, but they're not straight arrows yet. They are designed to test every possible boundary. You draw a line, they're going to see what happens when they step over it. And they need boundaries. They need guidance. And so as a parent, it's our job to take what he has given us, that raw material, and turn it into straight arrows. As a church, if we're going to build a family, it is our responsibility as a, as a church to take the raw material that comes into this church that is young and moldable and, and partner with the parents and help mold them and raise them in the right way in the right direction. There are so many young people today that don't even know how to behave in church. And I'm not trying to be super old-fashioned and stuff, but, but you know, I remember sitting on a row in front of uh, my mom and dad with, with some friends, and if we got out of hand, getting a thump on the back of the head. <laughs> or if I was across the other side of the church, seeing mom lean out, <laughs> I knew what that meant. That's all I needed. But here's the thing. Crooked arrows can't fly straight. It's impossible. See, the next generation should have a... Should, it should be a part... I mean, just as, as it says, as, as arrows are to the warrior... We need to be raising up a generation that we can depend on when the time comes and they mature, that we can pick them up, we can help aim them to where they're supposed to be, and when we release them, we know that they're going to hit the mark. We can raise a generation that will cause the enemy to quiver. But it takes all of us. It takes the parents being involved. It takes the church saying, you know what? The next generation is valuable. Just as straight arrows are indispensable to the success of the archer, strong children are crucial to the success of society. It's crucial. You know, it's frightening when a child at a young age is left crooked because they were left on their own and they didn't have anybody to show them what it was like to be straight and true 
And sometimes, as a church, sometimes as a family, maybe we get, maybe we get an opportunity that somebody comes into our lives or something happened and, 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 and they were left on their own, own a little too long and there's some rough edges that need to be smoothed out. And it's way beyond the, the point of some gentle building bending. It's way beyond the, the point of, of just a little sandpaper, sometimes a little chisel has to be used. But even that can be done in love. And sometimes when somebody comes along that needs that kind of help, we need to give them a little grace. We need to give them a little space and love on them despite their circumstances so they can know that there's a place that they're loved and cared for. That out of all the chaos and all the stuff in their lives, there's a place that they can come that they know that people genuinely care for them and love them and desire the best for them. And through relationship, begin to point them in the right direction. Because you know what? Once society breaks a child's Christian foundation, secular society does not have the power to fix it. Let's talk about education for a little bit. You know, I was thinking about this. At the age of three, in the Jewish tradition, a father begins to teach their child the Psalms especially the five Psalms of the Ascents, which this one is one of. At age five, they begin to study Leviticus. How many of you as adults have studied Leviticus? I have. But still to this day, it is not the most pleasant read. (laughs) At ten, they begin to be told the Jewish oral tradition. And people tend to think of oral traditions as being kind of like the telephone game that something gets lost along the way. But actually, they have done studies and, and, and cultures that have strong oral tradition. It's, it's remarkable how little it changes because it is self-correcting. Because everybody tells that story, and when somebody tells that story and they're off the mark, the rest of the people say, Ah, oh, that's not the way it goes. But what I'm getting at is at an early age, by 13, they're supposed to be moral agents on their own. They're supposed to have technically reached the beginning of adulthood where they are now accountable for their actions. But they don't reach their full maturity and, and their full maturity and, and, and in the eyes of, of the community until they reach the age of 30. That is the reason many scholars believe that Jesus didn't start his ministry until he was 30. So think about that. From the time they are little bitty to the time they are 13 and then 30, there's all this stuff poured into them. They're molded, they're, they're refined, they're, they're, they're forged and, and so forth. And yet so many times in so many homes, kids grow up almost with just their basic needs met, if even that, until public school begins to teach them something. 
we've got to do better. We've got to pour into our children at an early age. You know, what do we do? Somewhere along the line, we get our first job, first car, first date, first kiss, wedding. Next thing you know, there's children of our own. Then the aches and pains of aging begin to kick in. Then at some point, you reach 40. I don't know about you, but 40 was the one for me that I was like, ouch. I'm less than a year and a half from 60, and I'm freaking out. I'm like, when did that happen? Because I don't feel old. But we face those things. And, but what kind of heritage are we leaving behind? And I need to move really fast here. <laughs> My challenge to you today is this. Are you purposely forging straight arrows? If you're a parent or you're about to be a parent or or you're looking to someday be a parent, what will be required of you to accomplish this? Are you making the most of available opportunities? And for all of you, ask this question. Are you doing anything to help the next generation at the church? As a church, we have got to take hold of this. We have got to take ownership of this. Because otherwise, this isn't even my notes, but I want you to picture this. Otherwise, you've got parents that are fighting against the society of all the media and everything that is thrown in them and school and life all around them without any backup. Now, I'm not going to say a good parents and Jesus can't get it done, but how much easier it is if they've got a church family that will come along aside and say, you know what, we're going to give you other opportunities. We're going to help you in this process. We're going to help each other get this thing done so that our next generation grows up to be straight arrows that are strong and true. And when they're pointed towards something the enemy is doing, and they're let loose that they will penetrate they will cause damage to the kingdom of the enemy and they will begin to turn this thing around lastly verse 5 blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate straight arrows I said, we need to make the enemy quiver because of our quiver. Satan and his demons need to fear the next generation that is coming up. And I don't know about you, but I see it. I, I see in some of them there's this hunger. There's this remnant that's, that's ready to take on challenges, that they're, that they're looking for the right opportunities and the right people to speak into their lives, and, 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 they're, and they're hungry for it. And we need to provide a place. We need to pray for those that have children that are growing up. We need to be surrogate grandparents. We need to be, we need to be surrogate aunts and uncles. We need to not only be so concerned about our 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 children, but we also need to take on some more spiritual children. 
It's so important. Romans 8, 29 says this. It says, as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Right here is the picture of what society becomes. If a generation grows up without that influence. If I can get some music in the background. I want to end with a thought. We all know if you spend any time in the Bible that Elijah was a great, great prophet. Elijah did all kinds of miracles. One of my favorite stories in all of Scripture is the showdown on top of Mount Carmel. And I love reading his prayer because he, when it became a, when it became Elijah's turn, he didn't just step forward and pray this long, one hour long prayer. He just said, "Lord, you are God, and I am your servant. Show these people." And God did. But to me, one of the greatest things, and I don't know if you ever looked at it this way, but one of the greatest things that Elijah did was when he had finished, he'd raised up an Elisha. And I love what Elisha asked for. I love that Elisha looked at what his what his when his mentor, when his leader was getting ready to leave and, and knew that the Lord was coming to take him away, when he was asked what he could do, that basically what he said was, I saw what God did through you. I want twice that. And by many of the measurables, he, he accomplished that. He literally has twice as many miracles in Scripture attributed to him as Elijah did. Matter of fact, when he passed away, he was one short. And he was laid to rest. And some guys came along, and they needed to bury somebody quickly, and they were lazy, and so they tossed this dead body in with his bones, and when that dead body hit his bones, that dead body became a live body. They literally gave him twice as many miracles recorded. And that's incredible. Elisha was a man of God. He did incredible things. But there was one hole, I believe, in Elisha's time as a prophet. We don't see that he raised up anybody to carry on. Oh, he had Jehazi for a while, the servant that helped him and followed him and did all these things. But then there was that time when Naaman came to him to be healed of leprosy and God performed a miracle. And, and, and Naaman, being from a foreign country from Aram, was ready to give him all these lavish gifts because of what he's done. And, and basically, Elisha says, I don't want any of your stuff. Go in peace, you're healed. But Jehazi saw all that stuff. He said, that's just not right. So he chases him down and says, my master changed his mind. We'll take some of that stuff. And he kept it for himself. And the leprosy that was on Naaman 
landed on Jehazi. Later on, we see where Elisha had another servant that uh, we don't even know his name. But it was the one that got up one morning and went outside to, to get the paper or whatever it is he was doing. And he looks up and, and they're surrounded by people that have been hunting for Elijah. And he runs in freaked out. And Elijah steps out and says, show him that there are more for us than against us. And he sees the, the host of angels, God's army. But we really don't hear anything else from him. Point making, I'm making is if you look at the chart of prophets that we have from the times they were active, from Elisha to Amos, there's a 25 year gap. That means a whole generation grew up from childhood to adulthood without the power of God being demonstrated for them to see. How many know that when the next generation doesn't see the power of God demonstrated, soon to them it becomes stories that old people tell. It's our job to keep the power of the Holy Spirit alive and active in the church so that they have their own things that they've seen with their own eyes and then we need to pour and mold and help that next generation come up so that when you and I are done there is somebody we can look to somebody we're connected with that we can say hey I'm stepping out of this now you're next it's our responsibility So I'm asking you, what are you plugged into the kingdom? And who is that spiritual son or daughter that you're pouring into? Not to mention your own kids. This morning, this is truly, truly on my heart. We have got to impact the next generation. We need, and I'm not, I'm not doing a sign-up list. Just please hear my heart. We need people that understand the power of walking into a nursery, walking into a three- to five-year-old class. And you may not, you may say, that is not a place of ministry. That's, a minist- that's an area of maintenance. But I beg to differ. If you can help set an atmosphere at that early age that church is a good place, church is a safe place, church is a place where I am loved, you've laid the foundation that the rest of it can be built on. Then if you walk into that room, I know I'm meddling here and I'm going long, but just hold on. If you walk into that room where there's those that have learned how to walk and get into things, I wasn't wasn't planning on saying any of this stuff, so I'm just rolling with it. 
and they're all over the place. But you're one of those that can bring a little order to the chaos. And you can sit down with them and you can begin to expose them to Bible stories. And in both those places, what an opportunity to pray over homes and pray over young lives and begin to, that God would bless them, that God would begin to open doors and meet their needs and let them know that there's a God that loves them and has a plan and a future for their lives. Then when they get a little older, there needs to be some people that are willing to step in. I I thank God for TJ and Kayla. I thank God for Cambry and Casey. But you know what? They don't need to be back there every single Sunday. They need times to come be fed too. There needs to be people that say, you know what? These young people are worth investing in. Then the youth... Lord God, it was it was hard. It was hard enough to be a teenager when I was a teenager. And all the influences that we have now, they need some people that will come and, and stand beside Matt and Kristen. Matt and Kristen are doing a great job. TJ and Kayla are doing a great job. Uh, Sonia and Stephen are doing a great job. I thank God for those leaders, but they need people that will stand along beside them and will pray for them and support them and help them and and be a part of what they're trying to accomplish. Because of the church, we have to raise up the next generation. We've got to. There's not a choice. As we're talking about building the family, let's make sure we keep our eyes on the ones that are going to be next to step into some of these roles. It may seem so far away, but that knucklehead 13-year-old, in 10 short years, will be an adult. We've got to be serious about this stuff. We need to make sure that there's not a gap. And there's so much more I can say, but I don't have the time this morning. I just want to challenge you. Let's all be about the business of building the family and reaching that next generation. How many of you would seriously and and honestly commit to asking the Lord what that looks like for you? See your hand. Not Not just a token deal, but to really, we've got to do this. Let's support each other. Man, one of the greatest things when I was going, like I said, there's so many things going through my mind, and I got to wrap this up. But I, I remember having, growing up and having people in the church that I was connected with. How many Sunday afternoons I spent over at somebody else's house. And I got to see 
this family in action at home and the standards they have. And it just helped reinforce all the stuff that my parents was telling me. That's so important. Our generation has to see this stuff, this next generation.